Welcome to Losing It. A broadcast committed to highlighting tricky hair loss conversations so you don't have to. This podcast is brought to you by Adorams, your total hair solution. Whilst this podcast shares inspiration, experiences and offers advice, it is not a substitute for meeting with a hair loss consultant. We're glad to be part of your journey. Let's begin. Hello, you're through to Losing It. I'm Bradley and I'm here with my co-host, Jane. How's it going, Jane? Very well today, Bradley. It's lovely to be back in the studio with you. It's Always been, a pleasure. been many months now, isn't it, since we've actually shared the same space, really? Yeah, this time not with the cameras on, which I have to say is quite nice. Yeah, it's weird not being in front of the cameras. I got quite used to that and I quite like the camera, but this is a whole new thing for us now, being on a podcast. It's a different site as well for everybody. I'm telling you, Jane's here with uh, hair enrollers. She's got her feet up on the desk, <laughs> a full tracksuit on. She's filing her nails. No, I'm just kidding. I can't file my nails because you're going to hear it. That's the one thing I can't do. The rest I might be doing. <laughs> it's very, very different working with audio that's this high, uh, high resolution, isn't it? Very different. We've got to be so careful not to touch anything. And I'm a bit of a fiddler. So. She's a fidget guy. So I've actually strapped her to the chair. Don't say that. That's not... <laughs> People might listen now to see what yes, actually they actually is going on in this do. office. <laughs> they may well do. So this is our first podcast and our first show. I know. Yeah, it's going to be, it's a different platform for us, definitely. Um, I think it's going to be quite exciting and it's going to be a little bit more controversial, really. So we are going to cover all those subjects that a lot of time you don't talk about. Mm. So as the weeks go on, I think it's actually going to get quite exciting for all of us isn't it well we never did shy away from things did we you or I no we're not shy when it comes to actually doing anything really but doing this I think whole new platform there's lots of podcasts out there I think I spent one of my holidays listening to podcasts you the did. Day. great thing I like about a podcast is you can actually have me and Bradley with you anywhere you actually are mm. so and just listen to us any time of day much more relaxed and a lot easier as well we're not tying you down to eight o'clock on a Wednesday and if you get tired of us you can also hit pause or skip us forward and backwards <laughs> can you you can oh, of course there we go yeah See, I'm still learning this so yeah <laughs> also you don't have to look at us you can just have us on the side while you're cooking your dinner I think it's great yeah they are good fun yeah So tell me, Jane, out of the podcasts that I sent you, what was the favourite ones? Because I sent you quite a varied mix of different ones. Oh, I've listened to lots of different ones from people who committed murders and they're still out there (laughs) and we're still looking for those people. It's kind of no wonder I don't sleep some nights because it's all going around in my head. My bad. Um, I think the murder ones were quite interesting. And the ghost stories. Yeah, I did really like those. Yeah. But do you know why that one is so good is because they bring the stories up, but they really talk about it like it's happening to someone they know. And it's like it's gossip. And you just get sucked in, don't you? And you're like what? I can't believe this. I know I was led there on my son bed listening to them and it's like nobody could disturb me. It's like nah, listening to this. Can't talk to anybody at the moment. <laughs> so our first topic on this podcast is if your stylist doesn't do this already, why? It is. And um, we're really looking at your stylist in your salon. Most people are going every six weeks, get the hair cut, blow dried, colours done, gents going to the barbers. I mean, a lot of gents I know, they're in and out of the barbers every two to three weeks. Mm. So you build up that really close relationship and rapport with your stylist. And I think 
when we look at how many salons there are in the UK, having one stylist in the salon who has some information, even if it's limited information, but information that they can point that client to go to the right place to actually get the right information, I think is really, really important. Um, And also on another side of it is if that client happens to have a melanoma growing. Right. And again, melanomas will be picked up by a stylist if they know what they're looking for. Yeah. There was a statistic that I read that between 10 and 25% of all melanomas actually occur on the head and neck. Yep. And unfortunately, neck melanoma cases in the United States and Canada was increasing about five years ago by about 51% year on year. So so that's a crazy statistic, you know. They, they are absolutely mad. But did you also know skin cancer on the scalp is actually more common in men? Oh, really? More common in men than it is in ladies. Possibly because men have their hair shaved. They wear their hair really, really short as well. They don't often actually wear a hat for protection when they're out in the sunshine. Whereas a lot of females will actually wear a sun hat when they're out in the sunshine walking around. So, and they've got, you know, they might have their hair longer as well. So they've got a little bit more protection there. I was just going to say to you, is it generally, do you think, you know, shorter haircuts don't offer as much protection? But I guess that's kind of a given. It is a kind of a given really. And especially with men, I think when you see, that maybe that middle-aged man I don't want to upset any men out there who might be listening to us today um here she goes yeah those men who are going thin they've got that male pattern baldness starting and they're out there in the sunshine six hours a day in the garden doing gardening or out playing golf you know on the beach and their heads and you see them they're really red and they're really sore because they don't think about putting suntan lotion on their scalp there is that like generational thing as well. Obviously, there for those that don't know, there's a there's an age gap. I'm not even going to say how big it is between Jane and myself, <laughs> but um, you know, I think Please to don't. to like, <laughs> I think to like my parents and and people of, of their age and them coming through like the 70s and the 80s, and there was that real tanning extravaganza during the 80s, and people using tanning beds and just oh. the whole tanning culture that went on then. And I just think back to being a kid and my dad just being like almost of the opinion that getting a little bit sunburnt was good for you because it would yep. turn to, to tan right after and that was healthy. And the amount of times I remember seeing him burn his head on every holiday we went on, yep. that that for me, it kind of speaks volumes for um, the topic that we're talking about in terms of, of the, the cultural cultural thing. And obviously that extends beyond your gender too, but just from my personal experience. Dad, you really should have put some sun cream on that head. You should have done. Um, And I can tell you, I mean, when you talk about sunbeds back in the Mm. 70s, obviously I might be giving my age away slightly here, but I was given a weekend job when I was living in Bristol. And that was to actually advertise sunbeds, but I was actually a model led on a sunbed for... 48 hours over a weekend. There was two oh of us, so, so we kept swapping in and out. The deal was we got a really good tan. Yep, 48 hours on a Sunday. Well, after 48 <laughs> hours, I would hope so. Yeah, you had all your bikinis, all your swimwear and everything given to you, so really great deal. And we didn't think anything of it. We thought, what a good little gig we got. You know, great suntan, led in a shop window in Debenhams in Bristol. Nowadays, you wouldn't be able to do it. No, absolutely not. I think there's a limitation on 
well, how many hours? Rightly what? so. How many hours you can have and how far apart your sessions are and things like that. Yeah, it's minutes now, isn't it? It Not is hours. minutes. Yeah. In fact, yes, you're right. It's done by minutes. <laughs> it's done by Thank minutes. Goodness. Yeah, not by hours, just switch it on. And actually, years ago as well, most a lot of people used to have a sunbed in their spare bedroom. It's crazy to me. Yeah, so they would just come in from work, jump on their sunbed just to get a little bit of colour. The thing is, I'm sure some people still do. I think there's a lot of people still do. But when you um, talk to anybody, any of the skin care specialists, they will actually say the people with melanomas now or those people who are in that 50, 60 age bracket. Right. And that's us when we were actually growing up in the 70s, 80s and the 60s and we just abused sunshine because there was no education. I think that's the thing for us today and I, and I really want us to to get in the nitty gritty of, you know, in my mind we all have our part to play and being responsible of knowing um, about what to look out for. But... I can't see the top of my head, Jane. When I'm in that stylist chair, someone else can see the top of my head, whether I'm at the barber, if I'm getting a head massage, you know, anything, someone else can see the top of my head. If they don't know what to look out for when I'm in that chair, I don't really think there's any blame put on them for not being able to tell me, uh, you know, I can see this, that doesn't look good, maybe you should get that checked. Or I'm seeing the first signs of maybe your hair is thinning in an area or generally what do we do next and I think that's that's you know what we need to talk about today yeah it's pointing that client to the right place to go Mm. so it's having a stylist within every salon and I think that's something you know as a company and as people who are responsible really in the trade need to actually work towards it there's one stylist in every salon who's qualified to actually recognise a melanoma, recognise hair loss, and where to point that person, where to send them. I mean, nowadays, so many hairdressers are beginning to train to be a trichologist as well, that I think we're probably a number of years off yet, but I would say within the next five to ten years, there is going to probably be a trichologist in every salon throughout the UK Interesting. or every big salon. I mean, I'm not talking your small salons, but every big salon, I think we'll actually have a trichologist on board. Um, there's many people, many trichologists in the industry who are actually making hair loss and the subject of hair loss quite interesting now yeah before it used to be quite stuffy and you didn't know anything about it you didn't really understand it but how is explained to you now by different trichologists then it's actually quite interesting absolutely and also I just think it's an extension of like you know how we look after ourselves how we maintain what we've got you you know people go out and they get Botox they get fillers trying to maintain the skin we do things to try and keep our health on top form. Why do we not extend that for our hair? And particularly if you are a salon stylist, you know, those that are working in the main chain ones you see on on the high streets or in the city, you want that that client to be with you for as long as possible. So surely maintaining a, a good head of hair that's healthy, that you can work with, it puts more money in your pocket in the long run, you know. It is more money. It's not about selling them a product. It's about actually keeping that hair healthy, keeping mm. your client coming through that door all yeah. the time, maintaining that relationship with them. 
Um, and it could be if you've got a trichologist in your salon, they just offer a little kind of treatment to that client and maybe every six months they just have a follow-up so you're always having a follow-up to check what is your hair doing is it beginning to get thinner than it did six months ago are there any actual changes and what can you do to actually improve those different yeah. things and improve the health of your hair because there's everything that we put inside us actually comes out mm -hmm. so if you don't have a great diet your hair is going to be rubbish it's not going to be looked after. It's also like when you when you put it like that, it's not rocket science, is it? No. It should be obvious, really, that anything that I fuel my body with is not going to make me feel great or be on top form. But it's it's just surprising, isn't it, when you think that this kind of education? Because you have a, a stylist background, don't you? you? You're you can cut hair very well, so you have the education there. But I don't think they teach people now what to look out for. Still, I think that's probably something you have to do separately something I think yeah um training in hairdressing has changed over the years mm. when I trained you had a very good all-round training that we yeah. actually done in every aspect from men's hair replacement men's barbering ladies and we were taught in the salon I worked in to actually look out for different abnormalities in the actual scalp and on the hair oh interesting and that was something I was actually taught but I worked for a really really good salon mm. and done a really long apprenticeship so that all became part of my training which was really good whereas nowadays I think with the colleges they skip corners yeah they don't do everything as intensely as as intensely as they used to and that's really important I think but then I think for those people out there because of the use of the internet now all the youngsters coming through 18 year olds in their 20s 30s get on the internet look it up there's so many courses that you can do online courses that you can get accreditation for it and learn how to actually look after your clients yeah so we actually have today um, our trichologist from the hair centre in London, the Adirons Hair Centre in London, should I say, um, who's going to be, I should, I really should, it's the company we work for and why we're here, um, who's going to be joining us today to talk to us about trichology. And I'm quite interested to get her insight on just her opinion of, of what stylists could pass on in terms of knowledge and how that progresses in terms of the first signs of hair loss when you're in that seat you know how do we tackle that because to be honest I could sit here and point fingers and we could say it's that person's responsibility to do x y and z I wouldn't know where how to even approach that topic or what to say or where to send them so Absolutely. And you don't want to offend that client either, do you? So it's very, you've got to be very sensitive when you want to actually mention any kind of hair Absolutely. loss issues with that client. Yeah. So let's bring in Elizabeth. Um, we're very lucky to have her with us today. Hello, Elizabeth. Welcome to Losing It. Hello, Bradley. Hello, Jane. Hi, Elizabeth. Thanks for the invite. You're most welcome. Thanks for turning up. <laughs> <laughs> It's raining outside, so there's nothing else for me to do. So, oh, change. that's charming. <laughs> Don't ask her in the summer. No, no, that's it. We won't, we won't hear from her. We'll be stood up. We'll just be sitting here. So we were just talking, Jane and I, about um, how much of the responsibility lies with uh, a salon stylist in figuring out, you know, the, the first signs of hair loss, but also 
spotting uh, abnormalities on the scalp and what to do about that how do how do they approach that topic with the client where do they send them you know what's your general view of of that um, responsibility I think you're right I think the uh, your hairdresser or your barber is would be an ideal person to kind of first notice any signs that there's any changes on the scalp or changes in your hair density but because hair loss isn't actually part of hairdressing curriculum there's many hairdressers out there that have no idea what they're looking at and what they're seeing right um so I think although it's a great place to start they need the education to be able to identify what they're looking at um I mean the majority of hairdressers that I meet even nowadays, don't even know what a trichologist is. Wow. So, yeah. So, you know, the starting point for the hairdresser, they don't even know who, who I am and what I do um, to even point someone in, in that direction. So education for stylists is huge. And I think a lot of that comes down to um, the courses. As Jane was saying, the courses for hairdressing nowadays seem to be a lot more condensed than they were when I trained as a hairdresser, because that was my starting ground. In, of course, in, in, I'm the only one here that well, isn't yeah. trained <laughs> as a hairstylist. I, I'm just figuring that one out. But yeah. I think it's, it's really interesting to hear you both say the same thing, that the, the education has changed so much over time. Um, Immensely. It's, it's a shame because, again, it's, it's a craft, isn't it, at the end of the day? And when you, you hear things about how, like, scalp, we were discussing earlier, scalp melanomas deadliest forms of, of skin cancer um it's actually mainly because they're concealed by the hair and people can't find them so yeah. they're found quite late on so they have to be picked up by by somebody and then if there is something that they notice that isn't looking normal shall we say where do they pinpoint that that client to go and as you say now they don't know who a trichologist or what a trichologist is so why don't you tell us what it is exactly that you do? Well, a trichologist is a specialist in, in hair and scalp issues. So we um, we can diagnose what's going on in the scalp, if there's um, scalp conditions that we can treat, whether it be as simple as you know excessive dandruff or seborrheic dermatitis, psoriasis. They're sort of the common things that you see. Um but there are all sorts of other sort of lesions that um, will probably need more investigation by a dermatologist. So sometimes it's me identifying a problem and sending them on their way to somebody, you know, to more of a um, sort of a medical based prescriber. Because um, what I, I don't prescribe um, treatments, so right. we're more, we are sort of more diagnostic in that, in in some areas. Um, so you'll recognise the actual issue. Um, recognize and pinpoint the issue and then maybe send that person on to another specialist who might do further investigations exactly it's you know it's a bit like you know you go to your gp um and he will quite often identify an issue and send you off to a specialist so a hairdresser could identify an issue send me send you to a trichologist it might be something that i can treat and help you with or it might be something that i say well no, actually you do need to go and see um, a dermatologist but nowadays with the way that doctors um, waiting lists are so much longer than they ever were right. you know if you, even if you go to see your GP and get a referral to a dermatologist you could wait months 
uh, and months for that. And in that time, things can progress. So coming to a trichologist can just sort of reassure you or speed up that process, whether it be kind of sending you back to your GP saying, no, this really needs to be looked at ASAP, or whether I say something, you know, well, no, this is definitely something that we can treat in-house and and go from there. Yeah, I think some GPs don't even know where to pinpoint that patient, though, do they? Because hair loss isn't high on their training um, and they just don't know where to actually pinpoint them. I know many years ago when I was working as a stylist for mm-hmm. Adirans, um, I went to my GP just to get some boosters done and injections done for traveling. And I do I was doing pre-COVID quite a lot of traveling for work. Um, my GP asked me, where do you keep traveling to? Because you're always going on holiday. You're always getting, and I explained what I'd done in for work. And at that point, they actually had me go in one evening to talk to the nurses and to the doctors so they understood more about hair loss and where to actually signpost that patient. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I think a lot of the time it is is that GP is knowing where to signpost that patient. So it's kind of almost doing a leaflet drop to all GPs so they get a lot more information about hair loss so they're not quite so dismissive of it. Well, you do hear a lot of stories, don't you? I think because hair loss isn't life-threatening, one, it isn't a huge part of their education unless they choose to specialise in that further down the line. Mm-hmm. That it's really not important because, you know, you're not going to die from it. So yeah. get on with it is is my experience, which is what most of my clients, I, I, I can't think of any client that has had a really good experience with their GP, GP. regarding hair. This, we hear this so often. It's yeah. something that I remember we we actually spoke with Alopecia UK back when we were doing our uh, our um, webinars. We did. Back yep. in 2020 about uh, alopecia's experience with visiting the GP. And it's very, very alarming that that is the general consensus is that you just need to get over it. It's only hair. Yeah, get over it. it is only hair. Get over it. It's not life threatening. It's but they don't think about the like the mental health of that Absolutely. patient, isn't it? Really, how it's affecting them, mm. how they actually carry on with their everyday life, isn't yeah. it? So there needs to be a lot more recognition out there. Definitely. When I speak to clients, it it's how they live their life. Really, their their loss of hair can really affect how. Their routine to leave the house can be extended to hours of, of combing the hair, trying to fix it with hairsprays, trying to cover it up. Um, it can, you know, they have to get up an extra hour early to, because they can't leave the house until their hair's a certain way and they feel secure about it. They won't go to social events because of their hair. They, some people can, especially if you live alone, they can become even more isolated because their hair, they think everyone is looking at their hair. Reality is most people aren't that interested in anybody else. But when you're dealing with it, that, you know, it's, it's, I always say, if you wake up in the morning and you've got a spot on your chin, it's like the end of the world. And you think everybody's going to see this huge thing on the side of your face. And in reality... You say to someone, oh, God, I've got this huge spot, and they're like, where? Nobody can see it. And for hair loss, it's it's a similar similar thing. You know, when it's, your, when it's yourself going through it, it does grow arms and legs and become huge. That's not to say that hair loss isn't, can't be acute, because obviously it can. Yeah. Um, 
But I think as you you know, going back to the hairdresser scenario, if they were noticing things earlier, quite a lot of these conditions wouldn't become acute because they would be started to be treated earlier rather than being disguised earlier. Because it's normally the the disguising comes first before they even know what the issue is. Yeah, and I think that when I think of, of male barbering, for instance, I don't know whether the, the general consensus with men is we don't talk about it enough and we work with the hair that we've got in front of us. But as soon as my hair starts to, to thin as I progress in, in my life and age, <laughs> like fine wine, I will have you know, I would like a barber to say to me, you know, your your hair is starting to thin at the back here or, you know, yeah, just so that I'm aware of it, because then I could come to see a trichologist and find out if there's anything that I can do to perhaps slow down that process. Yep, to help it, to encourage the hair growth, isn't it? Yeah. Again, Bradley, I think that comes down to education because a lot of barbers, they may see it and they may say to you, oh, you're getting a bit thin on the top here or you're receding at the front and you'll say, oh my God, what can I do about it? And they'll say, oh, nothing. Very true. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just male pattern baldness and that's it. You've got to get on with it. And that isn't the reality. That isn't the reality. You know, if you start treatment very early, you can not only help to regrow the hair, but you can also preserve the hair. So it just maintains it rather than get it getting further losses from, for instance, andronic alopecia, which is male and female pattern baldness, right. hair loss. Right. Yeah, it's maintaining what you've actually got, isn't it? Yeah. Looking after what you've got. Yeah. Um, I think even barbers, though, barbers are getting so much more aware of these things nowadays. Yeah, I think with the technologies that we have now, like, for instance, what we offer here at Adirans with the hair systems, the and fact I, that that's an option there for men, that's a consideration, you know. If they there is a point where you can't work with the hair anymore, these barbers have seen these videos. There's a lot of these barbers that offer hair systems as hair replacement to work with. So the mindset is kind of there, but the education isn't there for hair loss and how we can maintain or preserve or encourage hair regrowth yeah I think I agree with you Bradley is there's not enough of the education at the moment um it's really important for us to actually do a lot more in Mm. that field and make people more aware of it there's more and more articles around in newspapers and magazines now there about hair loss for men yeah for ladies so it's a subject now that I think is people are beginning to talk about it Mm. whereas many years ago it wasn't spoken about as much people really didn't want to talk about their hair loss because they were embarrassed yeah but nowadays they will actually talk about it as well I think I think also people don't talk about hair loss because it's almost they carry this guilt that they've done something wrong to why they're losing their hair or they feel guilty that they're being too vain um You know, nobody has a go at you if you join Weight Watchers because you want to lose some weight. But if you start wearing a hairpiece or people can be very judgmental and I can't see that there's any difference. You're just maintaining how you look to make you feel better. So how how do we think is best to approach the topic? 
because I know it's very easy for me to sit here as someone that isn't a stylist or a barber and say, you need to do more, but I'm not actually being very helpful in, <laughs> in not offering any kind of like assistance in doing that. What, like what, you know, you've got the person in front of you in a chair. What, what's, how do you approach that? I'm talking to two people now that have stylist experience. How would you speak to a client? One of the questions that I would always ask when, when you have a client sat in front of you, you always ask, usually, how has your hair been? And they'll say, yeah, and they'll say, oh, this is this has been fine, that's been fine. Or they'll say, oh, it didn't, didn't quite work the same way as it did last. I don't, and they normally blame you as a stylist. You, you've done something. <laughs> um, but then that is quite often a, a lead into, well, actually, have you noticed the density is changing a little bit? Um, or you could ask, or have you, you know, have you noticed when you're styling your hair or washing your hair has more come away than usual? Because that's an indication of, of something's happening that perhaps can be can be helped. Um, and yeah. quite often the client the client will have noticed something, but they don't want to acknowledge it. Um, so yeah, going back to the hairdresser kind of being responsible to kind of not second guess what they're thinking, but almost reassure them that maybe that they're not just imagining it, that there is something changing. And I think the longer it goes on, the harder it is to get the hair back or get it back to where it was. And I guess the the point that you would make then is if if the answer to any of these questions are yes, i.e. I've noticed a, a lot of changes. I haven't made any changes to my lifestyle, but my hair isn't what it used to be is have you thought of seeing a trichologist or, you know, I know somebody who is a trichologist, they can help you figure out what's going on. And talking of trichologists, Elizabeth, is it something, um, once somebody's come to see you once, is it something that you would say to them that they need to come back every six months, every year, just to have a follow-up kind of talk and consultation with you to see if, you know, everything's stabilised or if things are actually progressing? Yeah, I mean, it obviously depends on what cause the hair loss is. Um, but for most of my clients, I will always encourage them to come back maybe four to eight weeks after the initial consultation to see, one, if whatever treatment, if any, is working, or two, how stable, as you say, how stable the condition is, whether it's it's kind of got as far as it's going to go and no changes. Um but again, it really comes down to to what kind of hair loss they're suffering. Right. I mean, a, a lot of the big brands, hairdressing brands now, are bringing out ranges for hair loss or hair thickening or yep. some some form of um, topical solution that can help. But that's more of a sales thing. Yeah. So it yeah. seems to be an awful lot of training the hairdresser about why they're using these products. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of, if you get someone in who's got fine hair, sell Some them this. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Again, that's not identifying the reason for the hair loss. And there's so many varied reasons. Some of them can present quite similarly. Um, so, again, for a hairdresser to know the ins and outs of all of all of the kind of conditions that it might be, um, they do need to be referring someone 
well, the client to someone like me to, to yeah. pin the exact condition. But another, I think another leading for a hairdresser would be, Jane, you'll know, it's amazing what people tell you when they're sat in their ch- in your chair. Everything. They, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they Absolutely. Everything. Guilty over here of doing yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I suppose it's because how many other people get that close to you in reality? Yeah. Even your best friend. My best friend doesn't touch me. <laughs> I'm very weird if she started to touch me. But my hairdresser can wash my hair, can brush my hair, touch my shoulder. I don't freak out about that at all. So no. I do think that, you know, people tell you stuff that might indicate that there's other issues in their life, like stress, bereavement, yeah. excessive dieting, all sorts of things that they might be admitting to you that could in the future cause a hair loss issue. Yeah, have some impact on it, isn't it, really, on that hair growth? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we are funny as hairdressers. We almost are like a psychiatrist, really, because your client will sit there and tell you their deepest, deepest secrets. Yeah. Um, It's quite entertaining, really, if you were to write a book (laughs) about what people have said to you over the actual years stood behind that chair. But it is true. You get to know them very personally. Well, it's quite a vulnerable thing, isn't it? Like Elizabeth was saying, you're very open to to exposing yourself and having people run their hands through your hair. I mean, that's it's quite intimate in, in one way yeah. or another. It kind of is. So it is it's the best time really for the stylist maybe to do that back. And if they do see something that is um, abnormal on the scalp to let you know. And I can tell you for, for one thing, working in a salon, uh, prior to, to working with Adirans, there was a client that came in and one of the stylists spotted that there was an abnormality on their scalp and essentially, long story short, it saved their life. Yeah. So not pointing these things out because you don't know what they are is a real shame. But it could be just as simple, you know, when, when you're having your hair cut, a hairdresser goes through your hair section by section by yeah. section. So it might be that on your previous visit to the hairdressers, they've noticed a mole that's on on your scalp or mm-hmm. at the base of your, your neck that looks fine and hasn't changed. And every time you go, they still notice it, but nothing's changed. Suddenly there is a change there. The hairdresser is more likely to notice it than anyone else because no Absolutely. one else is going to be going through your your hat, your hair and your scalp in that, that closely way. Yeah. And I mean, there are courses as well for people within a salon that you can actually do as well. They're an online course, which I think is really great. Um, And it's called Masked. It's Melanoma and Skin Cancer Early Detection is what it stands for. Oh, wow. And somebody, any anybody in the UK can do it. It's an online course. I think it costs about £30. And it takes you through all the criterias, how to actually recognize a melanoma, how to recognize all the different malls at the different stages that they're at. And I think even if that salon owner just paid for one person in a salon to do that course, or that one person in a hair loss center as well, because us working in a hair loss center, we're seeing the scalp without the hair, you're mm-hmm. still going to get your melanomas. You could potentially be there to actually save somebody's life just by actually saying, 
think you just need to go to the skin clinic, get that checked out. Because the moles on our body, we can see and we can see any yeah. changes in them. That's quite easy. But the ones that we can't see, that's where the danger lies, isn't it, really? So that education really is key. Again, yeah. 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 Big word we've been using today. Well, Elizabeth, it's been amazing having you on with us today for our first podcast. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us. It's always good to get the insight of other people that work in the field, but don't do exactly what we do. So just to put it out there, not a stylist over here. Uh, <laughs> definitely just work in an office-based role. Um, so I guess the, the only last thing to really ask is, are stylists doing enough? Not yet. Right. I think there's lots of room for improvement. Mm. Lots of, I think there's lots of us out there who could actually help a lot more. We could actually get the education out there, make people feel more inspired to learn about it. Hopefully anybody listening to us today will actually think, well, actually, I'm a stylist. I work in a salon. Maybe I'll speak to my boss tomorrow, see if I can actually go on the course to learn all about skin cancers, how to actually recognize them, or take it that step further and train to be a trichologist like Elizabeth. Yeah, true. And Elizabeth, your views? How do you feel about the, the, the statement? Yeah, no, I think I think there's a lot that um, hairstyle, a lot more hairstylists can be doing and barbers can be doing. But again, it does come down to education. And yeah. as Jane said, there's, there's quite a lot out there that you can do yourself. You don't have to rely on your bosses or or somebody else telling you to do it. If you're if you're that interested in in hair and hair health and scalp health, you should just want you should want to understand more about the the hair that you're cutting and treating how it works how it grows you know what you can do to it what you can't do to it um and I think having a much in more in-depth understanding of hair itself how it grows what causes it to grow what you need for it to grow um actually would just make you a far better hairdresser and a far more trusted one Um, absolutely then once that trust is there, if there is an issue, one, the client would feel comfortable talking to you about it, and two, you would feel more comfortable talking to them about it. For more information on topics discussed on this podcast, head to adranshaircentre.co.uk and contact us today.